This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. I'm here, as always, with Maxwell Bogue. How are you doing, Max? I'm good. How are you doing, Joris? I am doing very, very well. I am doing very well. How is how is everything in your 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 life now? Everything okay? My my, my bubble's good. Yeah, your <laughs> you bubble. <laughs> my bubble's good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's about that's about all we can ask for. I, think. I know, right? That's all one can hope for. <laughs> Who do we got today? Well, today we're we're here with Ken Church, and I'm a Ken Church is of uh, Enscript. I'm a huge fan of Enscript. The the reason I'm, I'm a huge fan of Enscript is, is is they're very very precise 3D printers. Have multiple tool heads, and the paradigm that they're working on is one that I really really like, and that's the idea of having like a line in a tool, or having a multiple tool heads in one printer, uh, so that we can let's say for example print a polymer or print a scaffold. We could print cells. We could micro dispense a medicine on top of it, and we could even mill away the scaffold if we wanted to, all in the same protected chamber. And that, to me, and even that could come in then a ruggedized environment. And that, to me, is very exciting. The whole idea of, of, of instead of seeing the printer as a discrete manufacturing tool, to see like see if you could make a factory inside of a box. Um, so that's that's why I, I, one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of Enscript and a huge fan of Ken. So so welcome on the show, uh, Ken. Thanks so much, Joris, and, and Max, good to hear from you as well. We're looking forward to the interaction today. Great. Cool, cool. Um, so it's generally, tell us a little bit about more, more how did you get started with Enscript, Ken? How did you end up like founding a 3D printing company like that? Well, I think it, it started some time back when, uh, you know, I might have been a bit younger at that point, uh, but it, it goes out and you think you have great ideas, and the problem with working with, for someone is they're going to take all your ideas. And I was talking to someone at the time, they said, you're seriously afraid they're going to take all of your ideas? I said, yes, of course. And he goes, well, what ideas do you have? And I went, I don't know. I'm sure I have some. And it just gets to the point where, you know, <laughs> what are you destined in life to do? And I think what I was destined in life to do was uh, be an entrepreneur. It just, it, sometimes it gets all over you and you just can't get it off. And so it started moving that way. And so a number of years ago, uh, started with the uh, working with DARPA. And DARPA is a, a very aggressive, number one. Uh, very competitive and they like to drive that competition. Uh, they don't just drive the competition, they like to drive the cooperation. It's really interesting. So we called it coopetition. And uh, they put other super excellent people in front of you and they start performing as well. And it will raise your level of performance. And so we got our kick in printed, in printing, print electronics and 3D printing and, and printed biology. We got all that uh, from DARPA. We started this in the late 90s. And we spun out Inscript in 2002. And we were just sure we were going to be an amazing success. And uh, what happens when you start pioneering is one, it's very lonely out there. And if you're too early, uh, it's very, very lonely out there. And so we were definitely early in the game. And so it's a matter of survival. And that's really where it, it is today. It's just, you know, hanging in long enough till, you know, something the rest of the world sort of catches up. And so while 3D printing was starting to take off in the polymer area, where we were really at in the 3D printed electronics or the 3D printed biology, that was very much research use. It was a uh, you know, great idea and, and some cool concepts, but still the rest of the world was still trying to catch up. 
For the people maybe don't know, DARPA is a U.S. organization. It's a technology research or an applied technology research organization that tries to fund things that they call DARPA hard. So they're trying to figure out stuff that, that will not be solved by industry, will not be solved by the companies, will not be solved by just regular developments. But what is it like a you know, strategic threat to the United States of America? Well, and more than that, they give us research projects and stuff. The, the internet is a result of a DARPA project. For example, DARPA yeah. Net. Yeah. Google Maps. <laughs> Google Maps yeah. is another one. Uh, so, so they do stuff that, that, that goes a little bit far, more far-reaching than, for example, more like a, a Fraunhofer kind of organization in Germany. They're trying to commercialize technologies that are, are of, of, of commercial benefit uh, primarily. Uh, and Oak Ridge or something like that are all in their uh, respective areas. But DARPA is really trying to look at like, you know, what's a threat to the U.S.? What's 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 really going to be a, a big problem? So for Ken, like, you know, working with DARPA is very challenging, of course. And, and, and does that does that really shape you still, or are you now moving much more into kind of like being a regular product development company, kind of like doing a, you know, making things? Actually, I appreciate the question. There's, <clears throat> we have sort of an expression. It's called DARPA esque, and so when you call it DARPA mm-hmm. hard. If it's yeah. uh, if it's a really hard problem, then it's probably not worthy of DARPA yet, and right. so they want they want something even further out. And DARPA has this you know cute little deal where they will they will fund they will fund hard, and so they they will put some money in it. And that's the really cool thing about DARPA; they'll put some money into it, and uh, they will lead you up the mountain, so to speak, and then they will let you just hang there. And so we call it the Valley of Death after DARPA. <laughs> is where you die because you spent so much time, so much energy putting it there. Uh, DARPA doesn't carry it any further than that. And that's been the interesting part. And so you have to learn how to be dynamic after that. And that's been our, our piece. It's really about survival and how to be dynamic after that. And yet, how do we continue to be DARPA-esque and still be creative? And so I think, you know, I'm not, I like to tell people this. Uh, DARPA sort of trained me in many ways. It, it, it trained me to be creative. It trained me to be aggressive. It trained me to be a very forward-looking. And so I like to call myself a, a product of DARPA in many ways. And in that way, but we want to continue it, though. And so uh, not everything in the world is solved by them. And so what happens next? And so a lot of things that we've done uh, where we were very early in printing antennas and, and did that successfully. And so one of our claims to fame is when we print an antenna on an ant's head, we did this on a DARPA program. We printed an antenna on an ant's head and toward the end of the print, the ant started waking up and started moving around. And then we finished the print and we had video of him running around trying to wipe his antenna off his head. And that was very exciting. It's, it, it was one of the points where people were looking at that and they said, this is such an exciting thing to do. And it was almost like being popular in high school. Uh, people all of a sudden started drawing to you and I thought, well, oh, this is what being popular feels like. This is kind of a nice feeling. And so we really, at that point, thought, man, we are about to be rich from this thing. And we were talking Motorola at the time. And we said, what do you think of this? And, and they said, yeah, we don't want any. We said, what do you mean you don't want any? What's this going to change the world? They go, yeah, I got to tell you, our ants just don't need any antennas. so we are then trying to reevaluate what just happened and what just happened is yes we were darpa-esque and yes we were pushing the envelope but at the end of the day did we do anything that meant anything today and it was again very challenging and so it's it's a long it's a it's a it's a long slow push is is what happens Mm -hmm. and that that slow push is you know what marketing knows as a market push versus a market pull And so we have always been in the market push game, and that is a tough place to be to achieve the next level of success. You want to get into that pull game, and it's a matter of survival, frankly. And so if you're you're there long enough, 
then you can start seeing that pull a little bit. And we're finally in, into that game where, where the market is starting to pull, you know, and so you have to ask, where is it pulling? And certainly, I, I, and I'm still going to say this, I'll be, I'll be pretty forthright about this. I think, you know, from the bioprinting point of view, if we're talking about bioprinting, um, you know, printing drugs of, of types, I think we're getting there. We are very close to hearing that pull or feeling that pull. If you're talking about, uh, you know, tissue engineering, we still have a bit to go. And that's the, you know, everybody asks about that. When are you going to uh, grow a heart? When are you going to grow a kidney? Uh, we're certainly making headway as a community. It's, there's a lot that is being done, but to get there, we still have a bit to go. So I think the transition of this is, is first to do what we're talking about, and that is, you know, printing drugs uh, as a step, but then also the next generation of drugs would be biologics. And I think 3D printing is going to play um, an enormous uh, part of what's going to happen in 3D printed biologics and where biologics can go. And biologics are the first step in sort of my view, my opinion of what tissue engineering is about. So it's a combination of cells inside, you know, a little sphere or spheroid or something. And from that, you know, uh, and, and this sounds crazy, but uh, that being injected or, or taken by, by people and one day it will compete with chemical drugs. I'm really excited about like well, biologics and also like about just generally applications that we can do now as mm. opposed to, you know, that can grow the market now and it can make things bigger, like 3D printed pills maybe or 3D printed uh, low uh, run medications and stuff like that. So I'm very excited about uh, those kind of like things that we can do, animal testing, those kind of stuff. We were talking about that last time about that as well. So I think, I think I'm really enthusiastic about the near term and the long term. Yeah, of course, it's going to be great. If we print a heart, nothing's going to be a problem for anyone. But, but how do we get there? That, 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 that to me is the, the, the real the difficulty, you know? Yeah, and I, th I think if you said, let's go print a heart, and then it's going to fix all of our problems, I think what's going to do is bring us a whole new set of problems because then, well, we're kind of stupid now with how we live. We're going to get extra stupid Even later. Dumber. Yeah. yeah, so, oh, <clears throat> you know, it'll give, us, it'll give us sort of insurance to go ahead and do the things that we were afraid yeah. to do at one point in life. Yeah, moral hazard. Doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Kind of like a moral hazard thing. Like, I'll start smoking again. <laughs> right, yeah. If you're not worried about a uh, hole in your heart from cocaine anymore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Okay. Print a new septum. Things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, let's, oh, let's be serious. The, the thing they're going to be printing a lot of are livers. I mean, that's where yeah. they Going, so. <laughs> I, I am curious I, the way you talk about uh not to go too far back but on, on darpa um i've been part of uh darpa companies if you will in the past and i, I liked your different philosophy of it because uh, i was part of a company at one point where we would just run from project to project uh to get through the phase one when they give you money and then kind of like let it go and move on to the next project and get to phase one to get the money. Um, so it's interesting that you guys went kind of all the way and then found yourself out, as you say, in that valley of death. Um, do you, did you go that route because you actually wanted to obtain the technology so much or is it, I mean, what was the drive to keep going? That is, that is such a great, not just a great que question, but a great observation of, of how it really happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> so in, the, in the beginning, you know, when I started a company and they say, what are you going to do? I said, I don't really care. We're just, we're going to design anything from shovels that you dig with in the dirt uh, to space shuttles that you launch. And, you know, we don't care what it is. Just do something that, that somebody cares about. And we sort of took that attitude to DARPA and you're exactly right. And so we jumped in and we you know, they'd have an idea and we'd say, oh, here's our ideas to match yours. And they'd say, oh, this is great. We think you're going to be a good performer. Here's some money and here's quite a bit of it. You know, thank you very much. 
And then of course they sort of drop you off at the edge and say, see you right. later. And you're going, wait, <laughs> now what? And so what you do is you adapt. And so you say, oh, I have to have another idea. And so you bring your next idea. And, and so we've had a few of these. The reason we're in biology, um, yes, I'd like to say, as, as many people know, and my daughter was born with one lung and it had a, a lot of uh, complications with that. And so my goal in life was to go out and, and print this. Uh, it was sort of serendipitous that uh, DARPA dropped us off at the curb and said, okay, you're done with uh, 3D printed electronics. Um, see you later. We went, hmm, how about 3D printed biology? What do you think of that? <laughs> so it's, and, if, and if they think, uh, yeah, we think that's a good idea. And then we go, so do we. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it's just, so you jump in and you start, you start playing in it. And so, you know, a number of years, I spend a number of years at university teaching and I would tell my students, I say, uh, you know what a good idea is? And they said, oh, crud, man, I didn't, I didn't know I had to have a good idea to graduate. This, this is not a good place for me. And I'd say, I'm going to make this easy for you. A good idea is a funded idea. And at the end of the day, if, if you have great ideas, but you don't get money behind it, it goes nowhere. And so this has been sort of the thing, and, and DARPA is that way. It's a lot of, you know, good ideas. So when and I look at this thing, you know, and, and you have to pardon my, uh, my politics here, but when I went out and they said, oh, what do we do about, you know, COVID? And it's all, you know, you know, vaccine science and the amazing vaccine science it is. I said, it is not vaccine science. It is economic science. You put enough money behind it, you're going to see this thing up and go and grow and gr amazing vaccines will come from it. It's, it's really no different. You put enough money behind something, things are going to go. And I think that's really where it's what's happened with, with this. I mean, uh, you know, kudos to DARPA really for being out there early, but then Behind DARPA came, you know, Army. Behind uh, Army came Air Force. Behind Air Force came Navy. Behind Navy came NASA. So there's a lot of groups that threw in on us. Mm. Started, you know, that the the development continuation, and you know, so we I wouldn't say we were through the Valley of Death because of that, but you know, they started streaming through that, and it was it was that combination of DARPA slash, you know, then the other services coming in, and when they started coming in. And, and they were interested in, in what the next generation could be putting that together, you know, took us to a, to a very special place. And then behind that, that's when industry started looking at it and became much more interested. So this was, this was not a, you know, DARPA drop you at the curve, you're done. And, and, you know, everybody lives happily ever after this is, you know, drop you off the curve and, you know, you know, dang, we're going to starve to death if we don't figure this out, you know, moving over to the other services, getting them, you know, you know, spun up and spun in on this thing, you know, working hard with them. And then while you're doing that, mixing industry in it. Since, since I too have been consulted by DARPA. <laughs> so we've seen to have a little, some little I, think, I think all of us have worked with DARPA at some point. Right? <laughs> we seem to have a little bit in common, uh, but and so I think it might be easy for, oh, well, it might be helpful for like as an entrepreneur. I mean, okay. The one thing is there's two ways, like one, well, there's a couple ways, but one is you get asked, right? To ask you for your opinion and ask you for something. And the other way you can bid or you can get involved with them. And what, what would you guys both advice be on, on if I'm like some research scientist or entrepreneur and I would like to work on, on these, these, these really amazing problems and these really amazing ideas for Dharma, how would I get involved with them? How would that work? I can, I can tell you right now. And it, and just, it, it makes sense. I mean, you can have some sort of the smaller kicks. So like you can have like little, you know, the Murray's multi-university research initiatives and, you know, DARPA will do some university things and work it that way. Uh, you can have some SBIR things and so DARPA work a little bit of SBIR. Uh, but if you want a real program with DARPA, uh, that's only going to happen with trust. And that may sound kind of crazy, but 
Uh, DARPA does like crazy people, just straight up. They like crazy ideas. Yeah. They like crazy people. But just because they like crazy people doesn't mean that they don't want to trust you. They, they want to know that you're going to be a good performer, that you're going to work like crazy. So <clears throat> you're going to be crazy and work like crazy. So you, you, need to, you need to get out there and meet the DARPA program managers. DARPA is an interesting place. It is not where you go and you stay. It's, it is where you go and you pass through. So they like program managers for maybe four years. And then off they go to their next gig. It's a great opportunity for program managers to, to, you know, if you left, say, you know, Lockheed or something, you went to DARPA, going back to Lockheed, it's typically a promotion for you. Um, or maybe you're going to leave Lockheed altogether now and you're going to end up, you know, going someplace else. But it's usually a step up if you do it right. So the program managers at DARPA are hungry. They're looking for crazy people with, you know, great ideas. And but it's really all about trust. They're, they're not going to trust you with multi millions of dollars. And, you know, just because you have a great idea and you know how this goes cold calling, you know, a proposal, it's, it's a lot like playing the lottery. Your chances of winning a cold call proposal is very small. So it's really about relationships. You gotta, you gotta find out who the program managers are, find out what their interests are, find out where you align with them, you know, find out where you, 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 you cross and feed your ideas, go back. Don't be afraid of someone stealing your ideas. You got you to feed them. You got to do the best you can. And when you do that and you develop those relationships, then your chances of being funded are much heavier. I, I was so impressed by the, I've been so impressed by the program managers uh, I've met. And some of those people are like some of the smartest people I've ever met. And Absolutely. One of them was doing like quantum cryptography as like a hobby from his house. <laughs> yep. 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 And, and, and that's what you'll see a lot of performers, a lot of program managers, uh, they have, yeah. they have crazy houses. They have crazy hobbies in houses. So, right. but, th but that's what makes, that's what makes them special, right? That's what makes people who work with yeah. DARPA special. I mean, it's just crazy people. In a good way, yeah. And so then another thing I think, I think, or unless you have anyone else something out about DARPA, because I think that's a unique, a lot of people don't talk about it or aren't allowed or are kind of like a little bit cloak and dagger on it. But hey, as, a, as a, an, an American company, or even as in some cases a foreign national or a foreign company, you can really interact with these people and do stuff that no one else is funding. So I think it is a really interesting opportunity to talk about it. Any more tips from you guys about how working with them or how to you know, leverage projects or get more involved? I mean, there's always challenges. Like they, they do all these, like the robot challenges oh, yeah. and stuff like that, that you can do as well, which uh, can often be a good way for a university group or even a private industry group to like demonstrate to DARPA that they're, they're there and they're ready. But there's a lot of competition there as, uh, as Ken mentioned earlier, yeah, and course. it will spur a lot. But probably, probably the last piece I'd put in is that they don't usually like solo players. They like team mm -hmm. players. So you're, you're, if, if you're a superstar, you better, you better figure out how to work nice in the sandbox. And mm -hmm. yeah. so they, you know, they, they like programs that are a little larger than just you. And so if you walk in, uh, mm -hmm. they probably like, you know, two or three or four other team members and not from the same mm -hmm. university. They like to spread it out. They definitely, okay. they like, you know, company mixed with universities, mixed large, mixed small. They like that that combination and the creativity and the, the challenges that it brings by doing that. Yeah, it's an unexpected subject. And then the other thing you glanced over this, but so your daughter was born with one lung and you want to print it. That's a, like an impossible challenge, right? Even with all the technology you've met, come up with, that's like one of the more difficult things to do of the, of the organs, right? You know, it's, so, it's, it's what I always said. Too bad she wasn't missing part of her liver, that, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you would have had it by now. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> might have been there. But, you know, it's, it's, it definitely is 
a complicated organ, you know, and there's, but any of the organs right now are complicated because we're, we're not quite there, but you know, from where I started, so, you know, I started this thing, you know, you know, early. So we were in the early two thousands when we started looking at it. So, you know, you're 20 years later and 20 years later, there's been a lot, a lot of progress and people will come out and they'll say, you know, how close are we? And, you know, in my lifetime, you know, so it turns out I'm not as young as I once was. So, but in my lifetime, you know, uh, yeah, we might, we might get there, but I think in her lifetime, we have a chance. So she, you know, she's still in her twenties. You know, I think in her lifetime, we have a, we have a real great chance with this. Uh, obviously the benefit and, and how you'd like to see it done is to mm -hmm. take her own cells and it, you know, it stops that rejection. And so in right. time you have organ donation, uh, your body has a tendency to protect itself and it rejects that organ. If you could take your own cells and you could, you know, you know, put that in a carrier and put a matrix around that and, and print that into the right structure and, and everything's working well. And the biggest problem that we're having right now, it's, you know, it's, it's called necrosis and, and necrosis is um, sort of a dead zone. It's things that will die. And so if the tissue gets too thick, you can't feed it, you can't get oxygen to it. And so uh, just like tissue, just like your body, your, your body is, you know, made up of obviously many organs and and tissue, but uh, the, the bottom line is you breathe oxygen and you exhale, you got to get rid of, you know, the, the CO2 and then also you eat and then you send out waste and cells do the same thing. And then cells move into tissue and tissue do the same thing. And if you can't, then you die. And that's what happens. So as it gets very thick, how do you get oxygen inside those thick layers? How do you get um, uh, food in or how do you get the media in? And then how do you get the waste out? I'm and kind of so, worried about that because in every kind of project, you see these teams that are mostly for focusing on organ systems. So they pick a spleen, right? They plant a little flag and they say, we're going to do the spleen, right? They work on the spleen and then vascularization, right? It's kind of like a side project. Like they have yeah. two interns sitting in the corner. Yeah. Does that work as well? The, the, I keep seeing this every single time. And it's like, wait, shouldn't we be working on vascularization altogether or something like that? Well, you, you definitely have to do system integration. Uh, that is no. absolute. Um, vascularization is, is not unknown to this industry. They know what a, what a big deal it is. I'm, I'd go back to my friend, um, Stu Williams. Uh, we actually worked together many years ago uh, on the original uh, bioprinting program. And so when we sent our uh, bioprinter to the International Space Station, it was in combination with Stu Williams again. So in 2003, we won an R&D 100 award for our bioprinter, again, along with Stu Williams. So we've been, we've been sort of chummy over the years. And mm -hmm. uh, recently, he's been working with a company, uh, and they were doing biologics. And, and so they were taking cells and putting those together. And they, they noticed that it really worked better if you take, and he, he's really good at taking, uh, extracting cells from fat tissue as well and different kinds of cells from the fat, but, but those that had microvessels in them is the point. So it, it encourages angiogenic behavior, but you take those little, those little fat cells that have the normal microvessels plus the other cells that are of interest to you, you know, and, and so your pancreas, for instance, is, you know, controls your, your sugar level. And so diabetics who struggle with this, what they noticed is here's the thing that we do and they do some kind of, you know, shunt inside that liver and, you know, put it back in there and it, and it will actually stop certain growth. Uh, and they're saying, hmm, that's not a positive effect. Uh, these guys came back in and found that if you put the cells together in a little spheroid and, and planted it subcutaneously, that it acted like your pancreas and started controlling your sugar level. And that was very interesting. Uh, but the point is that worked because they put different kinds of cells together. 
And right. one of those is encouraging that microvascular, you know, uh, growth, that microvascular, you know, movement. And so we, we see the problem with this. We know the solution in many ways, but it's still very complex to get to. And this is where 3D printing, I think, is going to come in and be very useful for us. And, and I always look at it this way. In our, in our biological successes that we've had, we're working on a program right now uh, with the uh, DOD out of uh, Uniform Services University Health Science System. Uh, that particular group right now, they have a blood program uh, going. And so we are uh, taking uh, CD34 stem cells and we're getting those to uh, move into red blood cells or we get those to move into neutrophils, move into natural killer cells. And so it's down to a cellular level is the point and tissue engineering is that way too. And so we need to have from a cellular level that control. And when you start talking about bioreactors for cells, then you have all this wide open space and everything. But when you start talking about bioreactors for organs, uh, it, it becomes very complex. You don't have all this space. And so where 3D printing could really come in is maybe print some a very small um, microfluidic channels that, you know, that also serve as scaffolds. And these scaffolds then maybe are permeable. And I'm making this up as I go, by the way, but it's, it's something I really <laughs> believe is going to go. And we're going to end up with this. But you have these little permeable scaffolds that are holding up uh, the matrix and holding up the cells as the cells grow into tissue. And then you can start pumping uh, the media through these little micro uh, microfluidic channels, but then you can also maybe pump, you know, maybe a liquid oxygen like perfluorocarbon or something through the micro channels, and then they could start breathing. And then you have micro channels that are, you know, vacuum like, and then they're pulling the CO2 out. And my point is, this is, we have to do something like this until we could get a blood supply to the tissue. The thing right. must breathe, it must eat, it must remove waste. Right. And that's where I really believe 3D printing is going to come in and also why we're such a big fan of precision printing. And so, George, you, you brought that up early about precision and it's a big deal to us. And I understand that people can make a lot of three cool prints without precision. Uh, we're just saying anything that you're going to make that's going to be ultimately really valuable is going to take precision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned scaffold. I remember reading a couple of years ago of where people were taking donated tissue, dead, dead, dead organs, essentially, and washing them, removing all of the yep. DNA and you yep. left with a scaffold, like a white little structure. And then and the attempt was to then grow on top of those. Is there something there where you can combine that and, and 3D printing to help make that happen or is that was that a dead end kind of route to take for for making the structure no i do not think that's a dead end i think that's going to be the first kick i think what that's mm -hmm. exactly what will happen those scaffolds are kind of special and uh, they're they're not structural and so that's a, a little bit of a disappointment maybe and so you're gonna have to you know house it a certain way but these guys have been incredibly successful about stripping, you know, taking a heart and stripping out all the cells and, and leaving the scaffold and then, and then cellularizing that and then getting this thing to grow. And now you have yourself uh, something that you're holding. That is, that is freaking off the charts. Cool. Just FYI. And so <laughs> what I would say is it is going to be, I think the first step, the next step. And so our challenge is, you know, how do we do that? How do we, what, what does that scaffold have? And, and then we, st we still need structure, by the way, either that or we do need to go to space. And so that's actually one of the reasons that we're on the International Space Station. Oh, because in a zero gravity, yeah, right? Yeah. Or a microgravity environment. Yeah, so right. we're sitting up there, then, it, you know, the whole thing can suspend, it'll hold its shape. 
very cool concepts, but you know, it's, it, there's not a lot of, you're, you're going to have to give a little more uh, specialized attention. And I think, you know, we might need a little more dedicated um, experts up there. We've got some amazing astronauts up there and they've done some amazing things, but to, you know, continue to go, it's, it's going to probably take, you know, a little more skills. Um, automation, there is, there is a delay um, between ground station and the international station. So, um, right. you know, you want to, you, you need to see some great automation. You need some, see some great rehearsal on the ground, but we, you know, you can see how that might really take advantage of what's going on. And, you know, we always said this and it's kind of a cruel conversation in some ways, but you know, if, if, if you needed a kidney and, and the only place you can get one is on the international space station, you know, then grow you one, you know, would you sell your house for it? And so there's always a business model. And remember, right. This is about economic science. I mean, yeah, sure, it's about tissue engineering, but let's be serious. This is about economic science. Yeah, well, I mean, if the economic, no. no. I was just say, if the economics exist there, then someone will build a space station that's just a printer farm for organs and put it up in space. So, yeah, yeah and 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 the the people who can afford it already care about space. So, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we can, right. We can probably if see if it Bezos, coming. Yeah, yeah, Bezos so, wants uh, an organ printer farm. He will get an organ printer yeah. farm. Exactly. <laughs> I, so the standard answer, if people ask me, like, how far away are we from bioprinting and actual organs and tissue engineering and stuff, it's like, I usually say either, like, most people say it's 20 years or something like that before we can do something like that. Or I say we're one billionaire away. The biggest breakthrough in, in, in bioprinting is, is, is Larry Ellison is going to wake up one morning and figure out he's mortal, you know? And then... <laughs> <laughs> Let's be serious. And then all That's of a sudden, exactly everything's right. possible. <laughs> yes, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. You know, the first gray hair. I'm waiting for the first gray hair on Mark Zuckerberg. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then <laughs> a new scalp. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, or, or when bald is no longer cool, I'll guarantee. You. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. you know, they will grow hair. Exactly. It's coming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, one billionaire away. But, and so, how did you? Well, getting a bioprinter on board a space station—that seems like a, a kind of a, a difficult thing to do. <laughs> you know, it, it's really weird. But apparently, they have a lot of rules. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, what yeah. the heck? <laughs> yeah. No, you understand. We're cool. Just put it up there. You know. But it's yeah. unfortunately that's not how it works. Um, there's, it's, it is a process. It is a a, a bit of a, a a long process. And we connected with a company called TechShot. Who has we? They called it flybalize, and so we start work with them, and they flybalize uh, the bioprinter that we had, and so again, flybalize, flybalize, make it flyable. I assume. Uh, yes, so it, it won't destroy my, on the way up. This is my this is my <laughs> new favorite word, but thank well, you. Flybalize. Well, one, it doesn't it it doesn't crash going up, <laughs> and number right. two, it doesn't it doesn't kill the people on the International Space Station when it's there. Also so yeah. there's a lot That's of rules good. about you know how you handle. Oh, everything. I mean, so you can imagine a metal printer. And, and so that's what NASA has been interested in is a metal printer. And uh, many of the metal printers that are out there today and very successful are a powder bed printer. Yeah, that's that's yeah. not a good idea. That does not work. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good idea at all. You know, it, was going, it was going really well. And I caught yeah. 4 million yeah. of the 5 million powders floating around. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. <laughs> But I may have held the rest. The others. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, there's lots of rules is, is really the point, you know, and uh, extra challenges up there too, you know, heating and cooling is interesting because uh, you don't have the same 
level of convection up there that you do uh, down here. Uh, you don't have the same protection of the atmosphere up there that you do down here. And so uh, there's aspects that they have to figure out how to, you know, transfer heat and then, mm. you know, the whole, the whole mechanism. So it's not just, gee, it's, it's microgravity and let's go. There's a lot of extra science that goes behind that, that they're driving inside there. And so those rules permeate down to us. And as, as we get the rules and they say, and it's also size constraint too, by the way, size and power, uh, power right. is, is, you know, size is one thing. And it's, and, and one of the things that kind of surprised me a little bit is, when we were, you know, put it together with the company Tech Shot, the the printer probably outweighs my printer, and I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, why wouldn't you send a lighter print? And mine's not light, by the way. I have a heavy printer. My my small printer still weighs, you know, probably 400 pounds or crazy. I don't know. Um, and and my big printer, by the way, is uh, north of 13,000 pounds. And so that's that's a lot of weight to be sent into space. There, yeah, so <laughs> I didn't want that one. And so right. We're looking at the small one and. And my, my light printer, it's, what we sent up there was probably heavier than that. And I was a little surprised by that. But, but the real surprise is, is, one, they can take the weight. And so NASA can get the things, you know, SpaceX and those guys can get, handle the weight and get it up there. What they cannot right. handle is volume. Um, and, and so even though you can handle the volume on the launch, you're not going to handle the volume within the station. And that get became, it inside the door. It's it's where it's going to go. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> oh, it's, inside once, the ship, right? right once right. it's inside, where does it go? And so they have these, you know, special sizes, you know, constraints, and they can say you you're allowed, you know, one U or two U or whatever it is that can sit in in this unit, and if you exceed that, then you can't go. So it's a lot of compression that goes on there, and so they want as much volume to print as they can, but they don't give you much volume to do that. And then if you're thinking about metals uh you metals take energy i mean so if you're going to take a you know electron beam or a laser beam and put it in a powder that's still energy if you're not going to do that but you're going to do it like metal injection molding and so you're going to take sort of a paste or you know uh, some kind of you know viscous material that's heavily heavily loaded with 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 particles and it holds shape and then you fire that first fire by the way if you dry it it's called green state and then if you fire it and get the polymer out that's called a brown state now that you're in the brown state, it's a tightly packed powder, but it's not centered together. I mean, if you, you know, if you put your hand on it and, and pressed on it, you would crush it. Mm. Uh, then you go from the brown state to the centered state, and that takes a whale of a lot of heat. And right. so when I say a whale of a lot, if you're talking titanium, you're probably talking 1300 Celsius. And so if you're going to generate 1300 degrees for hours, look at the amount of energy that you're going to have to have to do that and you really start exceeding their power uh, requirements because of the you know well where are they getting their power they're getting from solar cells you know pointing at the sun just take a, a magnifying glass and like you know. <laughs> that's what i'm saying right, you know? right. send the guy out yep. yeah send the guy with a magnifying glass and then just put the titanium there in space and, and <laughs> my, my thing was this also too i mean so titanium you wanted an oxygen free environment and, oh, and when they, perfect when they say oxygen free <laughs> they really mean oxygen free and i'm thinking well that's really great but don't you have a big oxygen free just free, outside right. the door? Just open the window and go, man. <laughs> just stick it outside. You know, and, and, and I got to tell you, catch guys, it the next orbit, right? Yeah, right, yeah, right, I, right. But I have to tell you guys, if you tell NASA just open the window and go, <laughs> their sense of humor is not as good as yours, and you might not get phase two. So you don't say yeah, that to them. Don't say that. You're very serious when you're talking to them. 
Yeah, uh, that's wonderful. You also have a, a, a ruggedized printer for we, for going to, you know, uh, yeah. Well, why do you have a ruggedized printer? Just because you like to go camping with it? And and this this is this is what it is. So you know, you can print your own chairs or something. I don't know. It's the point. Is, <laughs> so it really it really got back to. Uh, the idea of multiple materials again. So it, certainly biological materials might be of interest, but also electronic materials might be of interest. And so when we started working with the DOD, uh, they would like to be able to do forward, they call it forward austere uh, manufacturing. And so that forward austere manufacturing, uh, you know, what, what raw materials can I take and then get those in the form that I want. And so certainly, you know, plastics have been, you know, an easy one for them to demonstrate with. Metals have been a little harder. Same thing, you know, if you start talking about powder and you know what's going on with the powder, they will have access to a little more uh, power than the space station. And so they can handle that, but they would still prefer it not be, you know, too heavy and, you know, those things. We're, so, we're talking about like forward operating bases and things like that, right? For, it, for... It, it, and, and so there's far forward, you know, where, you know, you have the war fighters out there and then there's, you know, forward where, you, you know, maybe you're over in, you know, Asia, African region or some, some place over there where, you know, the U.S. may have bases there. And sort of where it really gets to is, you know, whether we like it or not, the U.S. has been so dominant for years in, in space um, and in the airspace. I don't want space space, but air, airspace. So if we needed something, if you needed blood in the forward place, you flew it in. And if someone's threatening your, you know, your cargo planes, you know, your, your big fighter planes would come in and protect that <clears throat> and you could dominate they dominated the skies um that is changing now and there's a lot of a lot of things changing now with hypersonics in mm. you know where that's going the chinese if the chinese have hypersonics you can't rely on 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 any of that you can't even rely on your carrier grouping anywhere near uh yeah, that's exactly uh, right. your troops yeah and so and that's just real that weren't so it's not just chinese that have it right there's others that have it and so you you no longer belgians have... <laughs> <laughs> i'm always I'm worried about those belgians <laughs> i'm thinking the folks in switzerland but maybe not but it really it really gets down to to this you're exactly right so we don't have that air dominant that we once had so we need to do some things in the in the forward uh deployed environment and so if i have raw materials there i no longer have to keep in a large inventory of everything which is impossible and maybe i can just keep a a certain inventory of fundamental basics of materials and then make what i need and so you know the idea of being able to move uh and, and it was the whole 3d printing concept right so i can move these what we called factory in a box or factory in a tool any place across the US around the world and then I can move a digital design to that that box or that tool uh, teach a technician to load the materials say go and out comes something wonderful and I think that's really sort of the point where the DOD is looking at as could be necessary and so what we what we looked at at the rugged printer is one how does it collapse quickly how does it take some abuse if it needs to how does it maintain its precision how does it do multiple material how does it set up quickly how are you printing quickly again and how do you print something that that has you know some effective meaning to a warfighter and so some of our demonstrations were bandages or braces that had you know antibiotic also printed in it as well so it's multi material Ooh, so it, it might be a hard yeah. soft also and then you can see some biologics in that as well. So you're bracing, but then you're also, and then eventually temperature sensors. And so if we went back to, it'd be really interesting. And maybe the next generation is, I'm not gonna just print an organ 
I'm going to print an organ with some electronics. And that sounds creepy as anything, but let's be serious. Uh, for those of us who are a little geeky, that's kind of cool to yep. think that, you know, I have sensors inside there. As long as Google's not watching, right? So I'm going to have an encrypted yeah. sensor in mind, just FYI. Yeah. And I, th I mean, I think it's, it's, it's paired to my phone, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, uh, I, th I think that's really interesting. I th one interesting thing is that the, the U.S. military tends to go on, like, very high tech. They also have these kind of low tech kind of containers, these refs, I think they're called, reps or something. Mm -hmm. uh, they did a kind of semi-low tech, which is regular 3D printers, containers in Afghanistan and stuff. And these have also been quite successful. Uh, but like one thing I've informally suggested dozens of times, maybe you're the right person to take it forward. It's just like the U S military consumes like hundreds of thousands of millions of pet bottles every, uh, every single day they're in combat. Right. And so just take the pet bottles and print pet, pet G then pet. Right. That's something they should really do. It's really easy to do. And, and, and they don't mm -hmm. do it. You know, instead of that, they're like, you know, I, I like the idea of printing like, you know, medicine on a splint or whatever, but I mean, there's also like really easy things, yeah, you know, there's, there's low tech. There's, um, I will say some of our army friends are definitely doing low tech and, and sort of some of the interesting stories are you're not going to print anything that's going to be qualified. That's going to go on something that flies no. because anything that flies is, you know, has to go through, you know, 20 years of regulation. Right. And my army friend says this, he goes, I got to tell you when the pedal broke, you know, when I was over, you know, Afghanistan or wherever it was, the pedal broke, I need a new pedal. We printed a pedal and put it on and flew it. He goes, now, maybe that's not qualified, but I guarantee you it worked. And so yeah. we did what we needed to do. So it's, it's, it's very low tech, but super impactful. And I think that's really where this gets to. We are definitely going to start with, with low tech, super impactful. Uh, you mentioned sort of the Conix box or, or sort of the reefs and those, those things that are out there. We are involved in that as well. And so ours, you know, we're working on ours to collapse, you know, so you can get a trifold. It, it moves into one and all the equipment then stacks. And that's, again, why we started looking at in rugged. We did that. So the equipment stacks and then unfolds. And then you have a factory in a box. You can pick these things up. The Marine Corps are really good at moving these things around. And so, man, you can, you know, how fast can you do it is, is the question. So our job is to try to accommodate that. And then, yes, uh, we want to put a full-blown, everything in there. And so we want factories inside the boxes. And so our, our vision, sure, low tech, we will take low tech all day long, but we do want to do metals. We do want to do plastics. We do want to do electronics and we do want to do biology. And so how, mm -hmm. how do we get to that vision? And again, that's probably going back to our early discussion, you know, sort of the, you know, DARPA side of me that says, this is what you're supposed to do. And so we sort of keep pushing the envelope that way. But at the end of the day, we still have to fit a need to stay alive, right? Somebody needs to buy something today or we're not going to be alive, you know, tomorrow to do something really cool. So yeah, start low tech and, and make low tech work, show, show that there's value. And so the other thing that we've been doing that's been kind of interesting, it's, it sounds kind of crazy, but uh, you know, the, the DOD uses some really old stuff. I, I know, I know they're the advanced people, but they also, when something is sort of finally qualified, they use it, reuse it, and then they train, retrain, use it. And pretty soon it's so old. So, you know, we're flying some very old aircraft, but the DOD is very good uh, at fixing this old aircraft. I mean, literally being able to make a brand new old aircraft uh, piece by piece. That's what they do. And so they do this in electronics as well. And so if you have a cable that is, you know, a certain way, and if you have a connector that's a certain way and it's no longer supported, uh, we're, we're now coming back in and starting to show how we can print those connectors and, you know, get them back on those cables. So if those things break, they can, they can keep operating. And so whatever's out there, 
that's kind of low techy, but in the other in other ways, it's kind of high techy and certainly impactful. Yeah, exactly. If you look at these, I once like called Lipsum. Uh, you probably know, actually, probably. And uh, he was once on this fact finding mission for the White House about what we can do and stuff with three D printing. And so I suggested that the U.S. government automatically become owners of the CAD. <laughs> So they have, yeah. they Dude, become the owner of the tank. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> but then they would be able to, like, you know, upgrade their own stuff, you know? Yes. And, and, to it. and so that's kind of the debate. Are they allowed to make their own stuff? And yeah. the answer is right. no, unless nobody will make it. Then they're allowed to make their own stuff. And so when people yeah. get tired of supporting their old stuff, then they need to figure out how to make it. And that's what these repo uh, bases are about. And so they do, they definitely have gotcha. that. Yeah, no, I think that's really exciting. And also, so have you ever thought of like making like a commercial event? Because you do seem to like <laughs> most customers are in this kind of like a military kind of a industrial complex. Um, um, you know, are you ever thought of like making like kind of a, a system for the rest of us? <laughs> <laughs> what would you like? Uh, actually, uh, we do sell across the U.S. and around the world, and so yeah. uh, we are getting ready to ship another system out to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, we're shipping systems to Switzerland. We ship them, you know, across Europe, uh, Canada, um, and and the U.S. So I mean, we 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 definitely are are selling to industry. Um, mm-hmm. What we have seen is industry is interested in sometimes three D printing, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of them are interested in they have objects already and can they three D print on their existing objects, and uh-huh. so think of medical devices. I, I guess you might mm-hmm. say, and these medical devices have certain functions and have certain. Um, high-level, uh, sophisticated electronics that have been researched and compressed, and but they're surrounded by big, bulky things, and uh, you don't—they don't like big, bulky things shoved in your body. Well, people who are under the knife don't like big, bulky things shoved in them. Uh, so, how do they shrink that down? And, and so, how do you get multifunction? And so, it's printing on things that exist. Number one, and so we're seeing some uptick in that, and that's been a very positive uh, step for us. So, it's still 3D printing, but it's 3D printing. Uh, and, and still 3D printing from a CAD, but now it's it's sort of combining uh, 3D printing with existing objects. And so, you know, some of it is traditionally manufactured and then 3D printing combined with that. Uh, the other thing that happens is, um, and, and we, st- we started talking about antennas, but it's it's a big deal. Antennas are a big deal. Your, your phone mm-hmm. in the future is going to have 12 to 15 antennas in it. I mean, it's just full of them. And, and those are are super complex shapes and they go, you know, in not just in a planar. Now they, they go X, Y, and Z and they're conformal. And, you know, it's, so how does that happen? So those are some interesting industrial markets, I guess, that we would start looking at, but all of this, this builds then. And as it builds the complexity. So we have our probably most sophisticated printer that we have is, is we have an, it's a, like an eight tool change, five, six axis system. And we maintain the precision of that same thing. And so we said, um, we're proximity printers. So we get, you know, uh, five microns, 50 microns, 100, 150, 200 microns off the, off the deck. And we print that way. So the gap can be very tight. Uh, trying to do that in a plane is hard. Trying to do that in a contour of X, Y, and Z uh, becomes not just, you know, an extra dimension hard. It, it's, it exponentially increases in, in the complexity of moving that motion. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of, you know, tightened uh, motion inside there. So it's, a, it's an amazing si- system to do, but it is also one that allows us to move to complex objects and start putting electronics and other materials in complex objects. And, and that's really where we're seeing and what people are 
especially research uh, universities and, and, and corporations that are researching. That's become a bigger ticket item for us as people are getting excited about you know, where that next dimension is. So 3D printing is, as you know, is not really 3D printing, it's really two and a half D printing. And so layer by layer. And so this multi muckles. <laughs> yeah, open it up that other dimension is interesting. Yeah, don't tell them. Sorry, I won't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> all right hey guys this is really wonderful I, th I really have the idea ken that we could chat for another couple hours <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah, unfortunately that's me <laughs> so, oh, well, we'll have to have you on again yeah i appreciate, yeah, I appreciate the invitation you guys hey I, I really appreciate that you guys are a bunch of nerds i'm serious about that man you guys you guys keep <laughs> nerding out and, and make a difference because it's, it's it's folks like you that keep it out and and again this is economic science it is truly economic science and unless people know what we're really talking about there's no economics moving so we appreciate you guys all right, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, thank you for coming, Ken. Um, and thank you very much for coming and being here as, uh, as well, uh, Max. Always. And uh, my name is Joris Peels, and this is uh, The 3D Pod. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to The 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.